So please help me welcome Nina Byers. Shall I start with reading a little bit? You're, you're the boss. I don't know. Yeah? Yeah. I'll do it. Um, yeah, so I'll just read a, a small chapter. Um, so the novel, in put it very shortly, is about uh, uh, Minnie Panis, and she's a, a conceptual artist, um, and she experiments with her own life. Like she sort of, um, yeah, she 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 uh, uh, thinks about. Well, sorry, my English. Sometimes I really have to look for words. Um, she 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 she's interested in uh, crossing the boundaries actually between her life and her works of art and often these two sort of intermingle. Um, yeah, just really short chapter which tells like sort of the beginning of her of her career. In 2006, not long after finishing her studies, Minnie had said in a magazine interview that she was an artist because that was what people called her. Artist against her own will was the headline with underneath a grainy portrait in which her face showed as showed as a black and white sketch, a head like a rock, rough, proud, plain and utterly unadorned. It struck her as a bit exaggerated. She hadn't meant it that cate categorically, but her agent had been, a, been jubilant on the phone. This is it, baby. This is going to be your breakthrough. An artist who doesn't want to be an artist, that's fucking brilliant. She had met the agent a few months before the opening of a group exhibition titled Shared History, Decolonizing the Image, in the former post office building on the Oosterdoks Wharf. The exhibition's curator had seen her final art school project, Does Minnie Panis Exist?, and thought it fit the theme perfectly. Minnie wondered what the theme meant in the first place and suspected her work would have fit in just as perfectly if the theme had been chickens and other barnyard animals. Five minutes before the doors opened, the agent made a beeline for Minnie's work. He shook her hand, then spent several minutes staring at her work, deep in thought, as if considering his next move in a chess game. A thin man with fine, sharp features, glistening black hair and a faint hue to, his skin, to the skin. Some kind of mixed race, although Minnie couldn't tell which. The most salient feature were the eyes, which were set extremely wide apart, almost untidily, as if they'd been stuck on his face haphazardly. It's not bad, he said, but your attitude is lousy. You're standing there as if you're feeling contrite. Are you apologetic about your work? He never took his eyes off her work, as, as he said it. Now that it was necessary, uh, not that it was necessary, thought Minnie, those eyes of his, of his, she was sure, must give him 360 degree vision. No, she answered, mortified. Not really. As she said it, she knew it wasn't true. In her eyes, her own finished work always had something bizarre about it, as if it was too little and at the same time too much. And she, the artist, should be adding something to it and erasing it, at, it all at the same time. Does Minnie Panis exist? I'm not sure about that yet. That's what I mean. Listen, you need me. This could be something. The imagery is interesting and I appreciate your chutzpah. 
Now all you have to do is stand up straight and act as if you created, what is it, a decolonized image, okay? Three years later, her work had been shown in Leipzig Museum der, Museum der Bildende Kunst, Barcelona's Magda, the Kunst, Kunsthalle Friedrichianum in Kassel, and the Louisiana Museum of Modern Art in Humlebeck, Denmark. For her next work, Nothing Personal, she was awarded the 2008 Prix de Rome, upon which she was declared to be one of the most promising Dutch artists of her generation by a correspondent in Art Review, which led more or less directly to her first international solo show at Arndt and Partner in Berlin. There, in Berlin, she had lunch one rainy afternoon with Sophie Kahn, who, by coincidence or perhaps not, had seen the show and called Matthias Arndt to ask if the artist was still around. It was Kahn who had asked her, in French-accented English, if she considered herself an artist, upon which many had replied, Je ne sais pas, je ne sais vraiment pas. A pathetic answer, but the only one that didn't sound like an outline, outright lie. The truth was that many did not identify so much as an artist as with her art, the things she made, the things that came to exist as art, because they would not have any reason to exist otherwise. Being an artist was Minnie's passport, an identity card that gave her a place in the world, in a world where everything had to be legitimized. It had been bestowed on her by an art teacher in high school, followed by the instructors at art school, the collectors, the journalists, the curators, the gallery owners. They had seen an artist in Minnie because they had identity, in identity papers of their own that endowed them with a license nay, the obligation to be the gatekeepers of the academies, the institutes, the foundations, the funds, the art grants, the talk shows, the museum, the galleries, the openings, the journals, and the corporate collections. In the beginning, in the beginning Minnie had listened in amazement to what was being said about her work, the fact that her work was even being talked about it, about. But little by little, she came to understand that every form of identification of legitimization had its own vocabulary, vocabulary, and that the language of art consisted of, consisted of words like identity, engagement, vision, and malaise. Without the words, the entire edifice would collapse, and the artist would be a stateless person, illegitimate, unsanctioned, unsanctioned and unhinged. Minnie had met two artists at, artists at an art expo once, twin sisters, both of them so emaciated that their skin was gray. The sisters made video installations of the eating disorder they nurtured in each other. They had become world famous and wealthy with these installations, which showed the dire consequences of the female beauty ideal, lambasted the consumer society, questioned both individualism and collectivism, etc. Truly, many had thought to herself, for some lunacies you couldn't come up with any other word than art. The fact that the, the, fact that the way she acquired her artist passport was, was by rejecting it, or indeed that every rejection, rejection on her part seemed to lead to renewed confirmation of her status as an artist, was a paradox that continued to fascinate her. Often, on seeing her own work, on the walls of a gallery or accepting another prize, she had the, the sensation of leaning over herself like a coroner, coroner leaning over his own corpse. 
The white noise, of cause and effect, reduced to nothing more than the banality of a bone fracture here or a bruise there. Art as death, but hey, who would go there in this day and age? So, that is a perfect chapter to read, I feel like, to, to introduce the book. I loved it so much, and I was so excited to be asked to talk to you because I have a background in the arts. I was just telling Nina this before. We just met just a moment ago. Um, and I'm a writer, but I have a background in the arts, and I worked in the art world for about six years. Um, and I feel like you did, one of the blurbs said it, you captured it so well, and you really captured the essence of the, the competition aspect and also the the artist as an individual who is um, for the public taking at a certain point. So I was very interested to hear what drew you to that as a writer of fiction? What drew you to the art world? What made you interested in that? Do you have a background in the arts? Just you know, because well, you capture it with such authenticity that well, I'm totally convinced. Like the, I think, thanks so much. That's actually the, the the thing I was really most nervous about after publishing the book. That people that really knew a thing or two about the art world would would say that it would be that it was bullshit. So that was my biggest fear. Because I, I'm not, I'm not an art historian, and and, and I'm not an artist, uh, so I, I had to do a lot of research, and also like on a really practical level, I just, you know, went to a lot of openings and stuff like that, and and I got really, yeah, like into the art itself, but also got really interested in the the the, the workings of the art world, which is. As you probably know, yeah, you must know that, <laughs> like, it's an entirely different economics mm -hmm. from, like, literary world, yeah. for example. It's really like, like, art really makes money, you know, and that really, <laughs> that's really interesting. <laughs> <me. Like, laughs> so, and that's what we're not yeah. doing is art. <laughs> no, that's true. No, just you know, vi yeah. like visual art. Yeah. Um, so. That was something I got into, uh, and I enjoyed that very much. But uh, what drew me to it was actually, um, you know, a lot of people they they read the book and they think that I set out to write, you know, that I was planning all along to write a book about the art world, and I, I didn't really. I the, the first thing that it started with, uh, for me, the book was actually something very, in a way, banal, but very something very autobiographical. Um, there was a friend of mine who, who had a baby, and this baby was born like, way too early, like very prematurely. So it was born way too early, like after 20, 25 weeks, I think. So it was like really like that was on the verge of yeah. living or dying. Maybe you've seen babies like this, they are so tiny and so extremely fragile and so scary if, you, if your baby is born like that. You, you, you don't know if it's going to live, you don't know if it's going to live, how it's going to live, you know, like like literally the, the whole brain is not shaped, like right. a lot of things are not finished. So this was just something that really, yeah, this image of this tiny little baby in this huge incubator, that really fascinated me for some reason. And some, maybe that might be something you recognize as a writer, like yeah. it often starts with, with, a, with an image or something that fascinates you and you don't really know why. So you sort of have to figure that out. And I 
I I just really wanted to know like if a, like if you have a baby like that, what does it do? Uh, what kind of person can that become, and how is the relation of the, this baby with you know like the mother, for example? So I I started thinking about all that, and then it really struck me that this baby. This is also in the book. She's she, my artist is born as this really premature baby. She had to be someone that really, in a very literal way, shaped her own life and and also dealt with this sort of, I think, false boundary between what's natural, what is artificial. Uh, had this sense of like watching and being watched, and also being in the world and not being in the world at the same time. Like like with a premature baby, like it's there, but it might not be so I yeah so actually the only thing that she called like it was the only solution really like she had to be an like she had to be a conceptual artist that really uh, investigated her own life and and, and uh, made art with her own life so yeah that's that's awesome yeah that's it's it's really amazing how um, so I think of it's interesting because she's a conceptual artist, but, but there's also an emphasis on the book on performance art. Right. There's yeah. even the epigraph is um, Maria Abramovich, um, who's a famous performance artist. And so there's this element of performance in there as well, yeah. um, and the performance of the self. And so, you know, the theme that seemed to keep coming up over and over throughout the book that just it ended up feeling extremely philosophical and like an existential struggle um, going on with me is um, you know like loss of self um, uncertainty about reality and identity um, and really just this kind of sense of um, maybe wanting to control your destiny but really realizing that you can't the struggle yeah, exactly. um, yeah. and and that was so fascinating just the way she navigated that in terms of trying to get control through her art, but whether or not she succeeded. So it brought up all these questions for me about free will. You know, sure. it's essentially, can we control our destiny? Are we in control of anything at all? Um, there were a lot of moments in here that felt really Buddhist, like just give up control and it feels free. So I wondered what you thought of that. If you're like Minnie, if you're somebody who's trying to um, get a sense of if it's possible to control your own life or if it's better to just give up control to the whatever the you know go with the flow right wow that's a really I know it's a deep interesting and hard question, <laughs> question. Very <laughs> it sort of reveals that I'm not really good at going with the flow probably um, uh, no but I, I, I think that just uh, art turned out to be such an interesting sort of way, you know, like such an interesting angle for me to look at all these, because these questions like truly interest me, like I really want to, I want to ask them and I want to investigate them. And um, yeah, so yeah, it's true what you say, like it's really, this book is also about what is, you know, pre, how free are we, what's predestined and what's not. Um, uh, and I, I mean, 
I don't think there's any right answer really to that. And I was interested in that because, you know, there's a lot of these psychological novels that are just, that really irritate, that started to irritate me after a certain while reading a lot of them. And I think in, in the Netherlands, where I'm from, uh, there's an especially, like, we are very keen on a certain kind of realism that really sort of lays bare all the motives of everyone and like if you had this kind of childhood then of course you end up being like this you know like very um you know yeah very in this realism tradition uh, that was very for me very unaware of itself and i just got really bored with these books and i just wanted to break this uh, you know i i didn't want to write a really uh, like a, a novel that you can read easily like a psychological yeah. like you can you can explain things in matter of psychology and of course you can up to a certain extent yeah there are i mean i go back and forth between minnie's adulthood and her childhood and there are all these connections but i was more interested in like giving the reader hopefully uh, a space to connect the dots for himself yeah. uh and yeah, leaving a lot of space for, for hopefully for interpretation. Like, it's it's not very like a lot of things that happen in the book are not very logical. I guess there is more of a maybe a sort of a poetic connection between things than a very like okay this happens so. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I loved about the book. There's an element of kind of mystery. You're not you're not laying bare all right. of, you're not giving the reader all of the pieces um, and that's true for life too you know that you're kind of trying to figure it out and it it was really um, it brought up all these questions for me about you know because she's really it seems like through her performance art she's trying to at once disappear right. and also be acknowledged yeah. having having her existence um, validated by um, being seen. So that was very interesting to me, but something else I wanted to get to that's, that's um, another theme that came up that I had questions about, your feelings about, was um, this emphasis on enjoying the process versus enjoying whatever comes from the process. So if we think of an artistic practice, we're working toward success, or we're working toward an award, or we're working toward selling our piece that we're working on. Um, but this I thought was very like an idea of mindfulness in practice, like just being in your work and doing it and that's where you get the, um, the quality feelings is being in the work and doing it. And I think, you know, for writers, uh, I'm sure all artists, I can only speak to, as a writer, it can be very painful to be in the process. Mm -hmm. um, so. I wondered how you, you know, what your process is like, if you're enjoying the ride of it, or if it's just excruciating and you're just waiting to get till the end, um, if you're able to put some of those ideas into practice. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought, like you, you, you brought it up, because it's, I think in the end, this novel is very much about what it means to make art, and um, for many, it's a very, like, it's a very like serious matter like it's really crucial to like she that's her way of living really like it's she's very serious i think about it and she's she, she's um but on the other hand she she's really not that interested in the 
results. So that's kind of a, maybe a little bit paradoxical. So she's very interested in making stuff, but she 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 does a lot of experiments with her life. Like for example, she 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 starts photographing her own garbage for like one and a half year and has like more over two thousands of photos and then she makes a film out of it. And she just starts doing this not knowing what exactly she's doing and what it will lead to. So so there's this seriousness but there's I think also this trust in sort of an intuition and in, in that you know things will lead up to something and I, I, I do recognize and I'm, I'm not like mini at all in, in very in, in, in a lot of aspects but this this I really feel like I can relate to I, I, I mean yes the, the process can be excruciating the, the writing process it can be horrible but um, yeah to me that's that's really the, the adventure in itself and I, I started writing this book and having a few ideas about it but I really didn't know um, like how it would end or even how a lot of things like I can you outline or not well like at a certain point you have to, like yeah. it's a whole novel and it's quite a lot of text and at a certain point it's just you know you have to go somewhere right but uh, that's that's after like I you know the, the rest of it really mm, came into existence really organically which is great like it, it you can really surprise yourself but it's also very inefficient yeah. because you know, you have to throw a lot of things out, like you have a lot of turns that you take and then it turns out not so great. That's kind of the fun of it though. I feel like, I don't know, I've never, I'm writing a novel right now and I'm not outlining. Maybe, mm -hmm. I'm sure I will at a certain point, mm -hmm. but part of what keeps it fun is, um, is not knowing what's coming right. and, and that's part of like enjoying the process, you know? Yeah, and I think like, for me, the only way I can really think is, um, putting my thoughts on paper so um, for me writing and thinking go really uh, there's no real distinction between the two yeah. so yeah sometimes even because I have like a weekly column in a magazine and sometimes I think I think of something and then I think okay I can do, write about this and this and this and then I put it together and then I'm already too bored like I already <laughs> thought it up you know and then I'm, I yeah. can't be bothered to write it down so even in the small pieces I, I, I like to work like in a, in a sort of intuitive way but you have to like that's maybe the Buddhist aspect about yeah, it like right. you have to be able to, to, to trust on that a little bit yeah do um, you have a daily writing practice like how did you write this book was it you know well, you said like I'm gonna sit down and make myself write or? well yeah I wish I wish it was this really beautiful process of getting up at a certain time and making coffee in a special way. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, really, because I, I had a I had a day job when, when I was writing this as well, and I just all the time I had I, I tried to spend on writing that, but there were weeks that I that it was just not going anywhere, and then there were weeks that I was working in this really feverish way and you know uh, working for hours and hours, yeah. so it was really. Um, yeah, it's a very unpredictable process, I, I should say. Um, and then I thought, well, uh, the second book is going to be so much better. I'll be 
<laughs> I'll be great. And then now it's exactly the same. It's the same. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. You know. And I, I like, I mean, I also need to really build a certain frustration. Like, you have to be a little bit frustrated with yourself. Because anger can be like a really good motor to make things, I think. Yeah. Like, you have to like at least be a little bit angry at yourself. You have and to be like a bit of a taskmaster. Like, it's time to go to work. Yeah. Like, you have to fix this. Yeah, no, that's definitely yeah. true. And that's like in a very practical way. You just have to say to yourself, come on, you have to do this. Now. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and what's the experience been like? So, is this the first translation of the book? Uh, no, so there were like German and French were oh, okay. also this year. What's yeah. that experience been like? Have, have you, can you read German and French? Have you read yeah. all of the versions of it? Um, well, I have to be honest, like it's really, it's too painful to write, to, to read your own book, like from the first place to, to the last. Yeah. I've never done that, not in any language. Like, oh, wow. of course, I mean, I... Well, yeah, you've, you've I, definitely read it. I definitely read it so many times, but I mean, after it was printed, uh, or do you say that? After it was yeah. uh, printed, I never actually, like, sat down and read it from the first page to the last. It was just and sort of an unbearable idea um, but yeah so I can read like I can read German and a little French uh, but of course English I, I can do better yeah um, yeah and it's been such a strange and wonderful adventure to have these translations because uh, yeah it, 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 a book comes into existence in a whole in an entirely different culture and I experienced that for example, the, the German reading culture is, is way different from the Dutch one or from the American one. And, uh, and also in a very literal way, like my German book has more pages than the Dutch one and, and the American one has fewer pages oh, wow. because the languages are yeah, so, yeah. like yeah. German needs a lot of expansion. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys would like to keep it a little bit compact. Yeah, we can't, so. we have our limits. Yeah, fair um, enough. Do you, do you, so have you read any of it? Because I was curious, like when I was thinking about that and then thinking about the idea of how identity is such a big piece of this book and like the disappearance of the self, like have you seen other translators' identities coming through? Has that been something oh. that like, um, you know, you've had to figure out how to embrace or enjoyed embracing? Well, I think I'm... Um, I made a good decision of, of really, um, like, I know that being a translator is, is a real, you know, a, a real profession. Like, a lot of people tell me, like, they ask me, like, why don't you translate it yourself into English? You can, you know, your English is good enough. But it's, yeah. of course, like, it's my English is really not good enough. And the second thing is, you know, translating is, you know, a real profession. Like, not anybody yeah. can just go on sit and do it uh, so I have a lot of a lot of respect for these people and yes I think in a way their personalities shine through the translations that they make because they have certain philosophies about translating I mean some translators are more they, they stick closer to the original text and others take more freedom and for example the, this is really a cliche come true but the, the German translator was the one that really found a lot of like small mistakes in the book oh, that yeah. were like 
you know, like she was such, she was, oh, it was so embarrassing. Like she was like, ah, she was very nice about it. But she, so she made the Dutch edition better because then in the next print we could, we could, you know, correct these mistakes, and it was great. Yeah. So, um, and I and 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 I like like there's writers that really, you know, um, keep a close watch on all the translations. But you know, for me, it's. I mean, one, it's great that it's being translated, and also, I accept that it will be something different. Like, yeah. it will not be the same book in yeah. a way. So I know. I wish I could read the Dutch version. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to work on that. Um, it's a. It's not such a beautiful language, actually. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think it's really. It's different. Um, but no, on that point, I was. Where when you said that it's been the culture is different in terms of how uh, the literary work functions and how work is received, how how has it been different for you so far, and where you're from and, and here? Have you seen any differences thus here far? Here in America? Yeah. Well, um, I think for one, I'm from a very small country with a very small language, so things are probably a little bit easier for if you. If you're a writer in in the Netherlands, I mean, you can. It's a little bit like I would say it's a little bit softer. Like the whole, <laughs> we're all softies. No, it's but but the the publishing houses are smaller, uh, less corporate, I think, okay. than here yeah. in the in America. And it's it seems that it's a little less of a rat race than it is here. Like um, you can still like take your time to write a book and. People will not be so, you know, like, like you told me a little yeah, bit about this Yeah, we were talking well. a little bit about how, you know, if you have a successful book here, the people are like, where's the next one? Like, right away. Yeah. Like, and you're kind of, like, expected to keep it coming. Keep it producing. Yeah. And and then also, because I also heard, like, you can, here there's this thing, like, you can have a really successful book and then maybe your second one isn't that yeah. successful and then publishers just say goodbye. And that's really something I... That's in the Netherlands. You sort of, if a trust, if a publisher believes in your work, then they will still, you know, keep keep your work published. Also, yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's and of course we don't have this. Like sometimes I read about this in the newspaper that some debut novelist is being like they get like a million dollars in advance or something like that. That's just. Yeah, I, that's for me not even imaginable that something like that would ever Are occur. people making a living off of writing? Well, in a way, I think um, there's very... Writing fiction, I should specify. Yes, fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's like, I think here in the, in the States, it's you you have more chance of becoming a re like Jonathan Franzen or something. Right, like yeah. he's like a multi-millionaire, right? Like he's really, really Probably. rich. And then there's a lot of, like, there's not so much maybe in between being yeah. this and being this. Right. And uh, so in, in the Netherlands it would be really hard to be like a, this very high up because, well, we have only 18 million <laughs> people that live in our country. So, um, but yeah, I think like a lot of people, they, um, well, like me, I, I can... I wouldn't be able to live off just my book sales, but I I, I also do uh, columns and I write articles and essays and 
I teach sometimes at university. So in that way, sort of, I see it as a sort of a, all is connected and everything has to do with writing, but I, no, I, I cannot do, live only of novel writing. And I wouldn't want to, I don't think. Yeah, I, I would. it is weird. I, I have a day job and I like the idea of having like a separation between my work right. and my creative work because I find on days that I have off and I'm writing, it's just like the pressure is too much. Whereas if I have specific time set aside when yeah. I'm not working, uh -huh. it's just it's just a different feel than if I'm putting a whole day and saying like you have to write. I'm more likely to seize on those times willingly when I have them to write. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can be really good not to sort of drown in your time as well, I think. Yeah. It's and also and it's also like you could get into a um, I think it's really easy to get into kind of like a, a, a in your head state with it when yeah. you're just working that way all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I would become sort of like, I always become a little bit of a sort of a crazy woman when I'm really into the, the writing. Like yeah. I just talk in myself sometimes aloud and you know, <laughs> I, I stumble across the room and I, I barely get out of the house, which is very unhealthy and it feels unhealthy. and. And it kind of you want to feel a bit unhealthy about it, you know. You want to yeah. because it's so it's so sad. Like writing is such a not really physical. Like you, it's not a really cool profession. Like you cannot <laughs> like you have these like I always have to laugh so hard about these really tough like macho male right like in the in the sort of vein of Hemingway being really tough about writing. And then I think well, in the end of the day, you just open your laptop and you you you, you do this, you know. That's that's it. So they have to go hunting and fishing and I don't know what. But to me, that's kind of hilarious. And but so then I I sit so like I sit so many hours in front of my laptop that my back really starts to ache, and I really like sometimes oh, like, you that. like that. That's no, really interesting. You like indulge in the yeah, like, struggle of it. Yeah, I do, yeah. and then I drink like those really god-awful energy drinks that makes me totally shaky. Oh, wow. And I really like, like, no, I mean, <laughs> not always, but I, I mean, it's nice to have this feeling that you're really giving something, like, because you do, like, you, yeah, you totally, yeah. give something. You have to feel like you're something. in it. You're, yeah. You're, yeah, you have some You have to suffer a little bit. <laughs> I cannot drink caffeine. Like, I can. I experiment with it. <laughs> it never turns out well. well. I'm very envious of people who are just like, yeah, I just drink a bunch of coffee and write for like five hours. I'm like, I would be in the emergency room. Like, I'd be insane. <laughs> so, is, is an energy drink a thing that you're like, when you're in the mix of it, you're like, when I'm really. Well, then I know that I'm nearing the end of a deadline, then I'm into this. this. <laughs> yeah. But the only effect is that I start shaking really bad. Yeah, exactly. And shivering okay. and being really cold. So, it's really not an advice to anyone. That's um, part of the. That's part of the you getting into the, the struggle of it. It's good. Yeah. It's well, your physical act. Well, physical act, physical act for you. Well, I try to make something out of it, you know, because it's so. I mean, like um, my uh, Minnie, the the, the uh, artist in my book. She's, you know, she's doing really cool stuff. I think, like, she's really putting herself out there and and putting her life on the line sometimes. And you know. Uh, that a lot of people have asked me if I've done all these art projects myself, if I experimented, and, oh, yeah. and I didn't. I mean, I just made them up. So, I think. Does it make you want to do them? I don't really, because I'm more of a person that likes to 
just observe, observe and uh, you know think about things. Um, but then, I mean, there's I think there's there's such a broad way of being like a visual or conceptual or performance artist, and yeah. like and there's only one. There's not so many ways in which you can be a writer, and that's also very interesting to me. Like still, in the you can experiment with a lot of things in writing, but at the end of the day, you still have to make do with words. And I think those boundaries are, for me, that's wonderful. I think it's nice to have these yeah. limits to it. Yeah. Um, um, should we take questions? Yeah. Does anybody have any questions for Nina? I convinced you entirely. Yeah. <laughs> you know everything. Everything's been solved. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it seems like an easy question to answer, but it's kind of hard because I I was tr like there was a long time like I always need a long time to sort of get not so much on paper and just be really confused about <laughs> what I should do, and then I have times where where I do you know when I'm finally there that I get things on paper then then I can do it. And then still, it took me three years to, to really get it on paper and to. Um, so, yeah, it's such a like I'm writing a second book at this point, and it's again it's the same thing. Like I really, there's so many moments that you think you're the complete dead end, and there's nothing happening in your thinking or in your writing, and then I I don't know if you recognize this. Like it turns out that. You kind of needed that 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 wasted time to come up with with, with, with something yeah. like apparently I think I really believe that somewhere in your unconscious stuff still is you know progressing or happening and sometimes you also like sometimes there are times that you have to say to yourself now I have to work and I have to really be disciplined and do it and sometimes I think it's also important to just sort of wait it out like you kind of know. Yeah, I there feel are like things I don't really know. Like there's days when I'm like, it's not gonna happen. Like exactly. it's just not gonna happen. And yeah. forcing it will make me like feel bad. Like <laughs> in my soul. Like if I force it and it like doesn't work out, I'm like I'm crushed emotionally for days. So yeah. I've like gotten a sense of like when it's okay to just let it go. Yeah, and I think I really do believe that there's a lot of sort of things happening in your subconscious. I yeah, really no, for sure. Um, so, but I was trained very, like, because I studied comparative literature, so I was trained very theoretically, actually. Yeah. And, um, so that was really a lesson for me to learn that writing really wasn't the same thing as conceptualizing things about literature. So. Yeah, um, no, that's true. Yeah. Anyone else? So how many of those theorists made their way into this book? Besides <laughs> Bart. <laughs> exactly. I think coming. there was a lot. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I, I think I'm still like I I there was a there was a time that I was on a crossroads between like I really wanted to sort of pursue an academic career. <laughs> so I wanna and and then I wanted to be a writer. So then I dropped out uh, of university. 
and in order to become a writer, but I think I've always really had this strong love for research and for theory as well. And so I think I found a way to sort of have that love for, for that as for researching and you know theories, bring them into my books uh, without them being, you know, papers or any like like Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, and it's also something like, because when this was published, all of a sudden I was very surprised for some reason that reviewers, they called it like a novel of ideas and philosophical. And I was really not that much aware of it that I've written such a book, but that's apparently also the way just my mind works. Like I just associate and I connect things with each other and like apparently it turned out that people considered that uh, sort of a novel of ideas, which is fine by me, but I just, yeah, that's something I probably, because I, I, a lot of people really assumed that from now on I would be this art writer, you know, because yeah. I, and I really don't want to be an art writer, I want to write, a, you know, the, the book that I'm writing now is very different, but at the same time, you sort of have to admit that there are just certain things in the way your mind works that will always happen, like and certain themes that will come back. And yeah, um, always. But I feel like yeah. it really speaks to your um, skill as a researcher because when I was talking to Nina beforehand and I told her I used to work in the art world, like I immediately assumed she would have some connection to it because of how just well verse she is or in the book like there's this one part that I love where I think it's is it Minnie's dealer her yeah, art dealer it's like her agent her agent like, yeah. who's like just going off about the art world and I was just like oh, like it was so funny it was so good and so accurate and so perfect and then she's like yeah I have no idea <laughs> but, no, but that's, I mean, of course, I, but I think that's, I mean, for me, that's like the least you can do is like really... Yeah, but uh, some people don't. Like, I mean, yeah, but that's very lazy. Think, it is extremely lazy, and yeah. It's, and as you know, like you all know, like as readers, as soon as there's something about a novel that this just doesn't convince you that this writer knows anything about this topic, like you, you, you start, it's worthless, right? You, and the fourth wall breaks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, who you, is this? Person. Exactly. It's like <laughs> no, I'm not yeah. with you. Yeah. So, yeah. It's really. Yeah. Anyone else? Um, how important as a writer is experience location to you? Like, would you write about Right. That's a nice question. Um, I guess I. I interesting because it's been such a big discussion as well like right the, 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 I feel like this whole thing about cultural appropriation and being a writer and wanting to appropriate a lot of things and uh, but it is I think it's a really important discussion like on the one end I think yes of course you can appropriate as a writer because that's for business and on the other hand I think you should also be like careful with it, like be, if you do it, do it really well. Like I, I remember hearing this writer talk, he, he wrote this book about like a, 
a really poor guy living on Curacao, which is like a tiny island in the Caribbean, and he was Flemish, so he had nothing to do with this poor guy, and he was like, yeah, so I, I, I visited this island twice, and now I, I really got the soul of it. Like, he really thought that he nailed it, and it really, it was really horrible for me to listen to that. Like, so, so I think, like, uh, people are often a bit too easy about just, you know, doing that. Um, and I think, like, if you do it, you, you have to have a good reason for it. And of course, there are plenty of good reasons for it. But you have to, yeah, I think you have to be very considerate about how you, how you do it. But that's, of course, I mean, that's what novel writing is also about, I guess. But, yeah, but... Yeah, I know, it's just a personal problem, maybe. I, I've had, had since recently, like, I... It's just so... There, there was a while that I was very fed up with novels. Yeah. And I was like, huh, why are, why are people making other people up and making stories up and what's the point? You know? So I was in this crisis. Um, but would you call this, like, a Dutch novel? Like, hmm. I guess reading it in English, I don't... I guess I can't... I'm trying to think right now if I would pull out anything that seemed particularly Dutch. There was the lamb being born, that I was like, that seems very Dutch. <laughs> but, um... That's just, you know... Lambs do get born. Lambs. It's cute. Ice skating, I guess. There's a lot of yeah. ice skating okay. going on. Yeah, so there's little things like that, that like... Folklore. Yeah. Because we don't have winters anymore, so... Oh, because yeah. Because of... <laughs> oh, no. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I don't know. I don't, like... This could have been set in, uh, well, yeah. China, in uh, somewhere that has ice skating. I New guess. York. No, you know but like, I guess it's true. I, for me, it was more accidental that it was set in, in the Netherlands because we, I happened to live in Amsterdam and that's just yeah. the way it, it went. But um, I think like that's the nice thing about being Dutch, maybe, is like we've always been so small as a culture, we always have had to absorb many other cultures in order to exist, you know, to to, yeah. to have, like, even learn other languages because we couldn't make ourselves, you know, known to other people, so... Um, and we're very, I think we are very internationally uh, orientated, so... Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know, I wouldn't... It's a, that's a strange thing maybe about being here, yeah. uh, like like being in, in a country like America, all of a sudden you are this Dutch author or this European author and you have to sort of explain why this and this is European versus American and it's really, I think that's sort of this sort of bullshit contrast, you know? It's, yeah. I mean, you, Europe looks at America all that like we probably know more, but no, we know as we know your politics as well as you do yourself. Like yeah. we, a lot are very loud about it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's kind of inescapable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I, I I certainly met a few Americans who still imagine Europe as being this liberal paradise or something. And I mean that's not realistic at all. It's not the case. I mean, yeah. there's a lot going on in Europe at this moment, and uh, yeah, including lambs being. Yes, that uh, too. Yeah. Do we have time for one more or are we good? Uh, yeah, we can do one more. Anyone else? 
if we don't have time for more. I'm just curious about the humor. So have you talked about how you access so much humor in the art world? But really, unless you've been deeply in the art world, some of that humor comes from very, um, it's not bitter, but it's extremely funny. It's very witty. And, yeah. and, even, and even in the other parts where there's more of a humor related to Eastern philosophies and the way those get adopted by white people, mm -hmm. and those are so, so and where do you get your sense of humor? <laughs> <laughs> I was just born this way. No. <laughs> your mother or your father? <laughs> no, but I think, I mean, I think it's like humor is often really underestimated, especially in literature. And I, I wanted to write about like serious things, but I didn't want to make like such a heavy book. And I also think there's often, I notice myself, like a lot of things I take very seriously. Like, for example, these like sort of Eastern philosophies that is that are woven through the book. Like, on the one hand, I think they are really deep truths, but there's a really fine line between something being a very deep sort of truth and being utter bullshit, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's just something like a Buddha standing in someone's toilet, what does it mean? Like, I'm really interested in these phenomena, like, where, what's the, yeah, what's the line between those things? And I think humor is a sort of a way to bridge that gap maybe or to 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 show some something about how strange the world is maybe because I think the world is very strange and it's only become stranger and yeah so yeah that's important to me yeah thank you all so much it's so nice to talk to you you've been listening to the skylight books author reading series don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.